This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome into episode five of Beyond Basic. I am Kayla Anderson, joined by... The one, the only, Ella Di Giovanni. And Ella, we have a really cool guest coming in in just minutes here on our podcast. Um, I'm excited to introduce him. But first of all, I, I know how we like to start it all off with kind of chatting about our week. And oh boy, did I have one of those weeks, Ella. <laughs> I probably what called you about five six times and had um, to bed this week 967 times maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it just happens where our personal lives and our uh, lives at work collide and it, it it's like one thing leads to another but guess what the week is over and it's a brand new week and I'm excited because we get to do this podcast we do and on Friday we'll be in the same place okay oh my gosh I know in just five four four to five days I can't remember exactly but um we actually are going to reunite for the first time this year and I was actually looking at our some of our pictures from last year it's crazy to me because you came here last week last time last year and this yeah. time you're coming a week after so we even planned it like the same exact. time <laughs> we didn't plan it that way but it did happen to work out yeah, that way that is funny uh, this last weekend was really cool because it's something that we both really like is, is some of these causes that these athletes support. And it was my cause, my cleats weekend. I think it's such In a great, NFL. yeah, I think it's such a great idea for them to do that. I absolutely love it. And I love how it's grown over the past few years. I think it started off kind of a few athletes got onto this bandwagon where I guess for people who don't know, they get custom cleats that they wear for this one specific game. And the cleats are amazing. They're so well done and they're decorated to represent a cause that that athlete supports. And they wear them for the game on Sunday. It's the same weekend for every NFL player. And then afterwards, those cleats are then auctioned off and the money made from that sale goes towards the cause that that athlete was um, supporting. So it's super cool to see all of these causes that these athletes support. I've been looking through Twitter so much to see the teams kind of, you know, marketing the causes that their players are supporting. And there's so many causes that you don't even know about that are out there that these players are bringing to the forefront. And this is what's so good about professional sports is using your platform in a positive way. And this is a way that all of them can do it at the same time and get those causes out there. And it is, it's incredible. I'm such a, um, a visual person. And so I just could go, you know, hours and hours just flipping through the designs of some of these. I got to see 
I did an interview with Titans cornerback Adoree Jackson this past week, and he showed me his beautiful, and I say beautiful because they really are intricate. They were, um, they the were design really on them, his mother is a breast cancer survivor, and he had his design team put together like a Gucci print, but it was it was the breast cancer ribbons. I mean, it was just phenomenal. And just to know that like they're they're doing this all to raise awareness for these causes. I think it's brilliant and I hope this continues to grow. I love it. And I think what's really cool too is obviously in what we do, we see these athletes as humans, not as players, because we spend time with them kind of not under the stadium lights, you could say. Um, and we see them on a day-to-day basis. Um, but for fans, I think it makes them more human. You know, you see these players say that a parent has suffered from, you know, something or a sibling or, you know, there's a player that lost a child and that's on their cleats. And, and it makes them so much more relatable and they're not just going out there like dudes throwing pads on. You know, you can relate right. to one of them in some way, um, which I think has been really really cool to see unfold if if no one has seen it definitely go onto twitter or instagram and just type in hashtag my cause my cleats and there'll be a million things that pop up and you can see all the different causes that the athletes support it's it's really phenomenal and that is one of the reasons we do this podcast to get the good word out there the good word in sports so i'm glad that they were able to do that this weekend so i think it's about time that we uh, get our guest in here because this is somebody that I've been able to work with over the past year and a half here, and I'm pretty excited to talk a little hockey, Ella. I was going to say, let's move from football to hockey, talk some NHL, uh, the season really, really heating up now. Um, So Kayla, why don't you take it away? Well, Ella, I'm so excited to introduce our Beyond Basic guest for episode five, He is the CEO, president, and alternate governor of the National Hockey League's Nashville Predators. He has been with the Preds since 2010. Sean Henry, welcome into our podcast. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. You know, it's been fun here. I've been in Nashville now for almost two years, and last year I got to experience a really special year for you guys. You were named the best franchise in sports by ESPN. Central Division champs, President's Trophy winners. Sean, what was last year like? Oh, last year was just so much fun. You know, we had an opportunity to continue to build, as we have every year for the past 20. But coming out of the uh, Stanley Cup run that we had, unfortunately, we didn't win that last game against Pittsburgh. But it really changed what we were as an organization, you know, starting slightly before that. But it, that was the first time we were put on that international stage to show how special Smashville was and how we could really take this great game and celebrate it slightly differently than other cities, and everyone embraced it. So going to last season, everyone expected so much, especially us. It's the best team we've ever had assembled at, to start a season. And then just a few weeks into it, we had a Kyle Terrace, got so much deeper, so much more talented, and then uh, just had the season that we always wanted. We know we have the best fans in all sports. That's unarguable, though some still try to for some weird reason. Uh, we know that we have the best game day experience. And to be able to showcase that on a Tuesday in November and have people from that other city say, oh, my gosh, that's like a game seven in the conference finals in most cities. It, it was really rewarding. And then you come out of last year and you go into this year with the best team we've ever had assembled on an opening day. And it's showing again right now where we're sitting at the top of the uh, leaderboard again. 
Now, Sean, we're going to go back to your roots a little bit. You're from the New York area. You spent time in your early years getting started kind of in the concessions business side of things. How did that role grow over the years and how did you eventually connect with hockey and, and take your career in this direction? Well, I mean, you're being very generous saying my career started in the concession business. It actually started, <laughs> uh, I was 14 years old and I got a chance to be a busboy at the beach concession stands, which consists of sweeping sand off the patio at a beach. Now wrap your arms around that for a bit. You know what you get to do when you're done sweeping sand off the patio at a beach? You do it again. <laughs> And again, and again, and again. And when you finally catch up to the wind and beat it, then you're allowed to scrub seagull droppings off the picnic benches. Uh, what I didn't realize, that company uh, serviced sports teams around the nation. You know, they were a food and beverage provider for colleges, professional teams. Uh, for me, it was just a great summer job that was important for me. If I was going to go to college, I was going to pay for it on my own. And uh, so I had to start saving money at a pretty early age. Because unfortunately, my uh, baseball and lacrosse talents were not going to pay for my college. <laughs> Though delusionally, I assumed they would. But uh, many a coach explained to me at an early age that would not happen. While I was in college, um, I had an opportunity to become a full-time employee with them, maybe my junior year of college. And uh, they did some great things for me. You know, They really paid for my school and had me traveling at a pretty early age to other accounts. Long weekends, uh, fall, spring had a chance to work uh, different World Series, national championships, also some really awful events in cities that I hope I never have to go back to. Um, but it was a nice introduction to there was a bigger world in sports than just playing on the field, court, or ice that I didn't even realize existed. You know, I'm a huge sports fan growing up. I remember the first time I got a chance to go into Yankee Stadium and work as a peanut vendor, and then another time I got to go in as a dishwasher, and I honestly thought, that Lou Pinello was going to leave his office and ask me what the lineup should be for the Yankees. And I just felt so involved. And that's where I just fell in love with the industry. Never thought I'd do it when I graduated. Um, but, you know, I graduated at a time when the economy wasn't great. Unemployment was double digits. I had one job interview when I graduated, and I walked out midway through it and realized, what am I doing? I love what I do. You know, I love the food and beverage side of the business. I loved interacting with our, our fans, our guests, our clients. And I went to that company and, and said, look, I'm willing to stay because they tried to get me to stay. But I thought I'm never going to cook hot dogs the rest of my life. And uh, they built a management trainee program for me, which I'm so grateful for. I mean, Larry Hatch and Steve Denny, who are the president and vice president of the company, just took a liking to me at an early age. I only saw them each maybe once a year. And uh, they were going to send me to four different accounts in a year. Uh, the first one was going to be the Palace of Auburn Hills, recently newly built home of the Detroit Pistons. And then from there, I was going to go to the Truman Sports Complex, you know, home of the Chiefs and, and Royals. From there, the Metrodome, where the Vikings and Twins played. And then the last uh, quarter, I wasn't sure where I was going to go, but I assumed it was going to be Yankee Stadium. So I was so excited about that. You know, three months in each city. Um, and I got there, and, and the day I got there, I, I met the CEO of the Pistons and the CFO of the Pistons by accident, and we just hit it off. You know, they liked that they had this hardworking 21-year-old kid that didn't recognize he only worked for the food and beverage company. You know, I was there to help Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars uh, win another championship. I was there to help Jack McCloskey make better scouting decisions. I was there to help sell more suites and sponsorships. What I didn't realize is the rest of the world saw me as a management trainee guy working for the concessionaire. 
And uh, they saw it as if someone's willing to do more, you can do more. Because they liked me so much, I had to stay there. And I never got to leave. And I was excited about going to those other places. I was also excited about leaving Detroit in the winter. And uh, it worked out really well for me. I was given a lot of opportunity, got promoted a few times, ended up running that account for my old company, met my wife in Detroit who worked for the Pistons and uh, ended up staying about five years there. And my own company let me grow and ended up taking over a lot of our sales and operations of our company, sold new accounts, oversaw venue operations and um, uh, uh, renovations and investment. And again, I was very fortunate to work for guys that just let you do more and more and more. So I got promoted and moved to St. Louis, where we worked with the new Rams, helped relocate them from L.A. to St. Louis. Oh, wow. We finished the renovation of their building or completion of the building that was on again, off again, six-year construction project. And from there, I just kept growing. But the one thing I always maintained was a great relationship with the Pistons. And uh, I guess two years later, three years later, after doing the Redskin project, but living in St. Louis, I was offered a job with a startup HDTV company that the Pistons were investing in. I was a third employee. I didn't understand it because I didn't know how to spell HDTV. <laughs> uh, I'm colorblind, so I could barely really pick up the nuances of it. Um, but it was the best experience in the world. you know. But I was leaving the sports industry to start a broadcast company. We were also the first to go bankrupt. And that was my first experience to be part of something that didn't just blow up and, and grow and grow and grow. And I just assumed that you know Pistons lost you know a fair amount of money in that company. And at the time, they were trying to buy the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I was helping them with that. And they offered me a job you know, to run the business side of it. And I, I was confused because they just lost money in a company that I was the sales guy for that went bankrupt. And I remember I sat down with Tom Wilson, who was the CEO, and Ron Campbell, who became the president of the Lightning, was the CFO of the Pistons. I said, why are you offering me this? I mean, literally, you both lost money personally. The company lost money. And they laughed and said, well, we knew we'd probably lose money. I mean, this was a, a rich man's lottery. But we got to see different sides of you. We knew your work ethic. We knew the type of person you were. We also got to see you be innovative and try new things and jump into new things and challenge the norm. And they said, we need to do that in Tampa. And for us to be successful in Tampa, we are going to take over the worst team in all sports in a building that was never finished from a construction standpoint in an underdeveloped sports market. And uh, I was very fortunate. I got a chance to work for the best owner in the history of sports and Bill Davidson. You know, at the time, you know, the Pistons were, were known for rejuvenating the sports and entertainment industry, really the first ones to look at it that way. And uh, what a great man he was, self-made billionaire. And his whole thing was just set out to be the best organization we can be. The only goal is to be the best venue in America built around a Stanley Cup championship team. Ignorantly, we announced that and people laughed at us. <laughs> and, um, you know, because we were so bad and inside of five years, we led the league in attendance. We we're the busiest building in the country. We won a Stanley Cup. A week later, we won an NBA championship. A month later, we won the WNBA championship and the Arena Football Championship. All in a year. I mean, it was a great organization because we were led by a great man who always said, do whatever you need to do to accomplish the goals. Make everyone part of it. Create ideas. Challenge the norm. Don't be afraid to fail. And it was such a great run. So that's how I got involved in sports. 
And Sean, when you go to a Predators game, I've been fortunate enough to cover and actually to go as just a fan. And I think that people who come to that arena, whether they be from the opposing team or just somebody who's experiencing a game for the first time, they're so impressed with how these fans not only have grown to learn the sport of hockey because it's not an easy sport to pick up, but they've kind of made their own culture. I mean, they've got the chance. They really make it a tough place for the opposing uh, team to play in. Well, it's very similar to the Lightning. I mean, it was much more well-established, had an incredible hockey operations department, and had, you know, a nice 10, 12-year history of of growing the product, growing, you know, putting sticks in kids' hands and having fun at the games. But it, it, as Tom Segrin said, he, he just became the chairman of the team, you know, before he hired Jeff Kogan and myself. He said, everything's been fine. You know, things are good. You're averaging 10, 12, 14,000 people a game. We're the 30, 40th busiest building in the country, the size of our market. That makes a sense. We make the playoffs most years, you know, go to the first round, get eliminated. David Poyle and scouting staff did a better job than any sports operations department in sports, in drafting players and training players and creating all-stars. Unfortunately, the resources weren't there to keep those all-stars. So every few years, retoggled, traded them for future assets, and rebuilt it again. And the job that he and Barry Trotz and Paul Fenton and the entire team did was incredible. But there was never that ultimate commitment. And what I learned about Tom Seagram when I when I met him and had my second ever interview in my career, the difference is this one, I sat through the entire interview. Uh, I, I fell in love with Tom because he reminded me of Mr. Davidson in the fact that his view was we can be the best at what we do. We can win a Stanley Cup. We can compete for it year in and year out. We can operate the best venue in America, and we can be the number one sports team in all sports. And what I loved about it is he was sincere about it. And he all and he also said, what do we need to do to do that? And I, I could not – I never wanted anything more than this job after meeting Tom because I, I knew if you had a chance to work for another special man, you could create special results. And you know what we've done? You know, we set out to – just like we did in Tampa – to be the number one facility in America built around a Stanley Cup championship caliber team. And that's what we've created. You know, year in and year out, we're a ring of the year. ESPN named us the number one sports franchise in all sports. We've sold out, I don't even know, the past 120 or so games. We have a wait list for season tickets. Our, our ratings are growing. But most importantly, we've created and deepened the bonds with our fans and our players and the love affair for them. It's just so much fun to create what we've collectively created and chase that ultimate goal. And we haven't reached it yet. You know, we're on the business side. Yep. Number one arena, all those other things, but it means nothing if you don't win that last playoff game. Well, you kind of answered my next question for you. Like you said, the franchise has piled up this, the sellouts. Like you said, there's a wait list for season tickets and the team has obviously brought a lot of success to the city. So of course that helps, but is it this relationship you're building with the fans that makes it the hot, hottest ticket in town? Because it's it's the place to be. It's the place to go, whether you are a hockey fan or not. People are going and wanting to be a part of of this franchise. Well, there's no doubt. And I'll be honest, I don't get offended easily. You know, I have Teflon skin, um, and I expect others to, too. But the one thing that really does bother me is when people say, well, yeah, of course you're doing all those things. You're winning. You're finally winning. First of all, this franchise has a culture of winning for a long time, but we've created a lot of these things through two years where we missed the playoffs and a work stoppage. So it was 
it was deepening the bonds with our fans, listening to them, and building on a fun game experience to create an incredible one. We can't control what happens on the ice or on the stage, but we can control what happens when you leave your driveway and return to your driveway. And that's what we focus on. Then you combine that with, you know, one of the best teams in the league and a, and a team that will be one of the best teams in the league for years to come, the way the contracts are layered. And it's a pretty magical approach. What we want is that, that X factor, the cool factor. On Monday mornings, Friday you know, afternoons, when you're at work, arriving or leaving, you're talking about the game that night or that weekend where it becomes the thing to do, not just because it's fun, because it's also the best sport with one of the best teams in that sport. Well, there's so many wonderful parts that make up your job, whether it be getting to travel or going to all these events, being involved in the community, getting to know these players, maybe on more personal levels. What's your favorite part about your job? Oh, that's pretty easy for me. It's, you know, I, I grew up a fan. You know, I, I didn't go to a lot of games growing up. You know, it's uh, youngest of six, and, you know, dollars are always a challenge. But, you know, my parents always made sure we made a game in, in a sport a year, it seemed. Um, so I'm still a fan. And that's the best part. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in my position that for some strange reason lose that. And, you know, they, they don't hang out, you know, on the concourse or sit in seats. You know, they have private elevators and security, which I, I just don't understand. I love 525 on a game night or 6 or 630 on a concert night. It's my favorite time of day. You just work the whole day. Good things happen. Bad things happen. Challenging things happen. But at 525, I normally wander down to the concourse and doors are opening. And there are a couple hundred people waiting to get inside. And they're coming in with such excitement and enthusiasm that I don't care how good or bad your day was. You get picked up and you get energized. And you know what? You're going to hear from somebody and they're going to tell you good things. They're going to tell you bad things. Uh, Some conversations are fun to hear. Some honestly aren't that great. Uh, But they're necessary. And it's like you're hanging out with a bunch of your buddies at a sports bar and for me, you know, four kids at varying ages, that uh, they come to most of the games as well. And that's always fun for me, too. You know, I sit with my family for the most part every game and get a chance to hang out with some of my friends. And it, that's the way I view it. Um, it it's just You definitely fun. get some cool dad points for that. Yeah, you do. Oh, there's no doubt about it. You know, it's, uh, you know I, I have bad dad jokes and dad jeans and do all the <laughs> embarrassing things to my kids. But they get to make fun of me sometimes in front of some of the best events in the country. Well, Sean, we really appreciate you joining the podcast today. I'm looking forward to this season because I think this is a special team that can definitely go all the way, and I hope that I get to enjoy it with you. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. We appreciate it, and we look forward to following the Predators the rest of the season. Well, I look forward to it too. You know, a long, fun playoff run with you fetching your coffee for you in the city streets of Denver. I I, know, right? (laughs) I look forward to repeating that because the playoffs really are fun. I mean, it's a time where you deepen your bonds, you build rivalries, and it's kind of the ultimate payoff for all the work that we do, our fans do, and our players do. So thanks for having me on, and hopefully I get a chance to celebrate a lot of things with you into June this year. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Well, Ella, what an amazing story. Not only just hearing about the success, the recent success of the Nashville Predators, but just to hear Sean Henry's backstory about how he became – who he is today, which is the CEO and president of the Predators. I mean, that is the definition of hard work, determination, and having a goal and getting there. And I just really appreciate the people out there that have to start from nothing and really have to go through trials and tribulations and maybe the not so glamorous part of, you know, 
the job to get to where they are. I think it's great. What I loved is he talked about what he learned throughout his career and how he kept bringing that to the next level. He talked about the work that he did with the Tampa Bay Lightning and he, he kept drawing on when we asked him questions about the Preds, he would draw on those experiences in Tampa Bay mm -hmm. that helped mm -hmm. him in Nashville. And I related to that a lot, as I'm sure you're going to agree. You know, when I was in college and I was trying to figure out my path in terms of sports broadcasting and where my passions were and what I wanted to do, you know, I always get the advice and probably from you as well, you being one of those people giving the advice, but to do everything. I think women, especially they go into this business thinking, I want to be a sideline reporter and that's kind mm -hmm. of, that's yeah. where they pigeonhole themselves. And I yep. am the first to say that I was the same exact way, but people say, do a lot of radio. And in your head, yeah. you're thinking, well, I need the on-camera reps. Yes, but radio allows you to find your voice. Yeah, I was able to do some radio in September, talking college football in the NFL. And that was the first time I was able to have an opinion and expand my my thoughts and and convey them to the people I was on the radio show with. And I realized how much that translates to my on-camera work. And so he was a perfect example of every experience, whether it be exactly what you want to do at that time, you're going to use that and draw upon upon that experience at some other point in your life. I mean, he's now the CEO of the Predators and he's drawing on experience he had in the past. And I just found that so relatable, especially in what we do, because you can gather experience from so many different platforms and they're going to translate into whatever you want to do at some point. Yeah, and while you mentioned he's not, you know, on TV in front of the camera, he plays an incredibly important role in not only the Nashville Predators organization, but the entire NHL. And so I just love seeing somebody who has really put in the work and doesn't have, you know, just that story where it's like, oh yeah, I was related to so-and-so and so I got that job in the business. You know, he that's not how it, bird droppings right. off the table. I mean, it's incredible. And some of us, you know what? Some of us like those type of stories. Some of us like to relate to the people who, you know, aren't glamorous just because they have a, a name of, of somebody in their family or, you know, they have some sort of amazing connection. I, I like those people that, that have had those stories that they've had to grind it out through life to get where they are. I find that a lot more relatable. And so I think it's great to see what he's done. And there's no doubt that, I mean, the Nashville Predators are one of the hottest teams in the NHL, maybe one of the hottest teams in the country when it just comes to professional sports. So it, it's cool to see. Well, and it's just a spectacle. You know, like we said in the interview, whether you're necessarily a hockey fan or not, to get to a Nashville Predators game is the thing to do in Nashville. That's what people love. I mean, it draws country music stars. I mean, it's it's an entertainment, I guess, venue and experience for such a wide variety of people and ages and genders and things like that. Yeah, it's great to have him on. We thank him again for joining the podcast. And then we're excited because, like we mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, we are going to be in the same city here in Music City in uh, just a few days. And so our next podcast will actually be together doing the podcast Which side by side. people don't believe that we do this not together. It is true. I know, right? We're in different it places. It is true. <laughs> She's in Chicago. I'm in Nashville. So we do do this every week um, in different locations. But we are together next week. So we can't wait to bring you a new guest, talk about some new things. So Ella, where can 
they go to subscribe and follow us on social media. Yeah, so if you're listening right now on iTunes, please click that subscribe button. And if you feel so inclined, you can leave us a review or a rate. We would love to hear what you think. And if you have any suggestions on types of guests you would like to hear on the podcast, please let us know. Um, Because if you're listening, we would love to kind of make your experience even better. On social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Basic Pod. And we are constantly updating and announcing new guests as they come in. That's right. So thank you guys like we say every week for tuning into our podcast and we will see you next week.